I want you to see the difference between the legalistic stuff, which is to resist the sin nature. But God says, you can't do it by your own power. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. And so I'm, I, I see now that there is legalism in trying to be like a good Pharisee, in a sense. A good, righteous Christian in, in your own power. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. Now, the other flip side of that is the power of Grace has been, and, and, and the, the grace teachers have taken that too far to where grace is a cover all, and you, even if you do sin, that's fine because God doesn't see it because you're under grace. That's the other extreme, and that is a really, really bad teaching because it, it, people, again, not transformed, think they're under grace, still living lives of sin, and they're comfortable in it, and they're not threatened by a with the fear of God for the things that they're doing. So they're not even conscious of trying to resist it. So I'd rather get taught, at least try to resist it, than not to worry because you're under grace now. So, but I think there's a middle road, and that's the one that I want to take, because we've got to stay within the parameters of Scripture. And what that's saying is, it's a work of God in your life. And then it says here, verse 4, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So everyone who sins, Christians and non-Christians, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. He might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So in Christ is no sin. No one who lives in him, catch these words now, no one who lives, that means abides in Christ, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's powerful. No one who continues to sin has seen him or known him. Is that harder than anything I've said already? If I just said that off the top of my head in a manner of speaking, you would think, oh, now Rob's making up his own doctrine. But this is Bible. This is the Bible. If we continue to sin, and then they say, oh, that's legalism then. No, that's the power of the Spirit outworking in your life. That's what's expected. Without that supernatural encounter, without that supernatural change, we can't call ourselves Christians, according to Scripture. Because it says here, no one who's, who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Christianity... You can't confess to be Christian unless he's done this work in you. That's why Jesus says, I command all men to repent. To come into a saving grace, to come into the Son, to abide in Him and be changed and transformed. Amen. Is this scripture or am I making it up? So um, I hope this is a blessing to you. But what God's been speaking to me about is uh, true and false repentance. And this has been something that's been on my mind for the last year. And uh, I've been reading different different views and, and so on. And I'm going to present something today which I think is uh, sadly missing in the church. And um, we need to uh, really you know, take to heart, I think, what I'm going to present today because I think it can really help us to move forward uh, as a church and as Christians as well. Um, so, firstly, how important is repentance? And I want you to look at a few scriptures with me. Acts 17, verse 30. In this scripture, and he's talking about um, people that bow down to images of gold and silver and all that sort of idolatry. And now we've got people that bow down to all sorts of other things that are idolatry. Like some people bow down to their, their cars and others. Uh, what's interesting is in, in the Hindu religion, in the lounge room, where the chairs were, they would have idols would be in the lounge room and they would all sit around their idols which are in the corner. Now what's in the corner of the lounge room that we all sit around? The television. The television. It's a similar sort of setting and that's our idol. And in many respects, everything that we're getting fed from that is manipulating the way we think, the way we behave, and, and so on. We learn how to be in the modern culture from the TV, don't we? Um, so Acts 17.30, it says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance in relation to 
uh, fashioning uh, an idol out of timber or something. He overlooked that ignorance, but, to, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It's not, will you repent? He's, it's commanded that we repent and uh, turn from sin. Now, Acts 3, go back to just a few chapters early. Acts 3, verse 19. Verse, chapter 3, verse 19, that says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. So if we have sinned and we've repented, times of refreshing will come. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So what that's saying is um, that times of refreshing follow true repentance. And whether that's, you know... For a short time along, I believe it's long. I believe true repentance of everything will bring a life of refreshing. Doesn't matter what you encounter. Regardless. Because joy is not happiness. The joy of the Holy Spirit is not happiness, is it? Happiness is part of joy, but it's not all of joy. You can be content in any and every situation, no matter what the situation. I remember there was a story of a man who was um, locked up in the deepest, darkest cell uh, in a prison for, for believing in Jesus Christ. And he's way down in this dark pit. It's like being in Tartarus, the deepest part of hell. He was way down there. And they left him there for weeks. I think they just slipped some, slipped some food under the door. And he said he had never been closer to God. He was like he was in the throne room of God the entire time. And that whole time down there was a blessing to him. He'd never, ever encountered God like he encountered him in that dark place in the bottom of a prison. Because he found his joy in Jesus Christ. He found his hope is in him. You know? Now, I don't want us to have to get locked in a deep, dark cell to get that joy. You know, you can get it living on the top of the earth as well, on the, on the surface. But um, Luke 3, uh, sorry, Luke 13, verse 3. So just go back a few more books and we get the Luke. Luke 13, verse 3, and it says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. Without repentance, you'll, you'll only see hell. And so the question is, is what is repentance, isn't it? If repentance, if you don't repent, you perish, then we've got to make sure that the, what we believe is repentance is actually repentance. And that's what I wanted to study today. I think that's important. Because I've been, I've been feeling, God, I, I really need to repent. Like, if, it's not just saying sorry to God and going back and doing it again. It's, it's a change. And, and this is what we're going to be looking at today. So what is repentance? It comes from a Greek word called metanoia. And it means a transforming change of heart. You know what? Yes? That is amazing because I just had um, in my spirit change of heart. Oh, wow, wow. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Well, um, it's, it's a transforming state of change of heart. And it, the term suggests a change of mind also. It's not just a change of heart. You know in um, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says if you believe, if you... Uh, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And people say, that's what you've got to do. Confess and believe and you're there. The believing in the heart is the transforming part. That's the changing part. That's the part that switches from there to there. You know, John Hyde, John Praying Hyde, he, he was a, a man that prayed and prayed and prayed. And they say he could pray up to 14 to 16 hours a day. And he saw a massive move of the Spirit in, in India when, as a missionary there. And they say when they did an autopsy on him after he died, his heart had changed from his natural side, which was on the left, isn't it? Yes. To the right side. His heart had shifted, and that's what killed him, they said. But they'd never seen anything like that. How can a heart change from one side of the body to the other side of his body? There was a shift. And that, that to me, just shows that you've got to go from, your, from the left to the right. Get in the right standing with God. Get your heart on the right side. You know. Now that, that happened in John Hyde physically, they say. 
which is pretty powerful. And when they said, uh, people who saw him praying said they've never seen a man travail like John Hyde. It was like he was in Gethsemane with Jesus Christ, sweating blood. He prayed so hard. And he, but he saw souls coming into the kingdom in the droves. He, he was the one that you might have heard. He was the one that said, started praying for one soul a day. Say, Lord, just give me one soul a day. And then he started to get one soul a day. Then he said, Lord, give me two. Increase his faith. And he started to get two souls saved a day. And then he started to believe for four. And it went on like that. And he, 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 the church grew astronomically with people coming to know Jesus. So it's a powerful, transforming change of heart. The term suggests a change of mind. It's a change of the way we think. We don't think the same when we're truly repentant. We don't think as the world does when we're truly repentant. Willpower is not enough. It's not God gives you incredible willpower to resist sin. And this is, I think, is the key. This is the key to understanding what, this, what repentance is. And this is where... Um, if you're trying to resist sin by your own strength and you're constantly confronted with it and you're constantly trying to resist it and you're constantly confronted, every day it's back and you're trying again, that means that the Spirit has got to do a changing work. That actually is legalism. That's what people call legalism. They say you're not under grace, you're under legalism. And I believe, in many respects, I've been trying to resist that sin in my own strength, by my own willpower. It's beyond resisting. It's beyond us saying, no, I'm not going to do that. There's got to be some change that is acted on by God. God's got to do it in us. See, when we worship God, we're worshipping a supernatural God. He's beyond the nature of our own you know, what we're used to, the natural nature of man. He's supernatural. So if there's going to be anything done by God, it's going to be a miracle in the lives of everyone that he does it in. So he's going to do a miracle in you. Now, it doesn't. It comes by faith in him, and it comes by his grace coming upon you, and he causes the change in you. And so it, it, it's also got to do with godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. It's got to be godly sorrow for the things that you do, not a worldly sorrow. And I'll explain that uh, in a second as well. You can see why this is a, a... You probably can see already why I'm sort of talking about this. It's really important. So willpower is not enough. Who knows? You know, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Who knows in your own strength, it's, it's sometimes, you know, one day you feel strong and you can resist, the next day you can't. So it's got to be beyond our abilities. Because in a sense, that's how the, the, uh, the Pharisees were working out their righteousness. They were trying to be good all the time, trying to be good. They're becoming self-righteous. Therefore, if they were actually good, they had something to boast about before a holy God. They could boast, I'm good, I'm righteous in my own right, I'm holy as Jesus is holy because of me and what I was able to achieve in my life. But the problem is, it's got to be Jesus doing the work in us, it's got to be Jesus causing the changes so that we have nothing to boast about when we get to heaven and we're righteous in Christ. It's not because we worked it out, it's because God did it in us. Amen. And so what it requires from us is a, a turn to him and say, Lord, work this in me. Work this in me. Yet at the same time, being conscious of what sin is. And understanding the, the corrections, like we were in 1 Corinthians 6 today. Um, and I'm just going to go there because when Jenna was reading it, um, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he said to the church, Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. So what he's saying, if you're sexually immoral, if you're an idolater, if you're a homosexual offender, if you're a thief, if you're greedy, if you're a drunk, if you're a slanderer, if you're a swindler, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So he's saying that that's what some of you were and you shouldn't be now. You were that. And if you are that, you better repent and not be those people anymore. 
And then he said this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by what? Who? The Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. It's not because that we've incredible willpower, our incredible ability to suddenly overcome sin on our own, all on our own, without the need of God to do it. It's no, it's a work of the Spirit. And I'll explain how the Spirit does it in us too. It's coming up in a second. We are... And this is, the, this is how it works. The Spirit gets a hold of you and brings you into repentance. He causes you to hate sin the way that God hates it. He makes you a hater of sin. So the things that you once really, really loved to do, even though you knew it was bad to do, you now don't want to ever do it again. You just can't think or dream of doing it. It's that, that repulsive. You know, it, it, it's sort of like this. I remember uh, when I was a kid. Um, do you remember a crunchy sarola, I think it's called? It was like a muesli. Oh, a cereal, yeah. A cereal? Crunchy granola. 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 Crunch, that's crunchy granola sweet. That's a new diamond song. Isn't that <laughs> <laughs> You know that song? Crunchy yes. granola sweet? Yes. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't crunchy granola. Um, Sarola. Anyway, something like that. There was this cereal and I loved it. I loved it. I, okay. I'd have it every morning and I just always finished the bowl and I wanted another bowl of it sort of thing. <laughs> anyway, one day my, my mum and dad went out and I thought, right, I'm really hungry. And so I got a big salad bowl <laughs> and I like put heaps. I'm thinking, yeah, keep going, keep going. I can eat all this, I can eat all this. And I filled it right up and I put milk in and I'm like halfway through. And I'm like, I can't eat this. This is just so, I'm so full. And then my mum and dad come home and mum got really mad because I nearly used the whole box. I think I did use the whole box. It was a new box. And, um, and she said, Rob, you're going to eat all that cereal. Right? Anyway, by the time I, I couldn't eat, I couldn't finish it. I was off. See, I could never eat it again. I hated it. And uh, so by the time I, like years later, like in, in the last, you know, 15 years, but I've never really been into, what do you call it? Muesli. Muesli. And uh, so that was, it, it made me hate it. And it something that I so loved to eat, I now can't even imagine myself eating because I'm completely repulsed. Vina had that happen to, to her and her sister Bounties. with bounties. She had that, well, a big bag of bounties because they love that coconutty sort of uh, sweet condensed milk sort of flavour. And um, by the time they, they ate the whole bag and they were so ill, they can't even, you know, even to this day, they still can't eat them. But that's what God's got to do in you. He's got to make you hate whatever sin it confronts you, like I hate that muesli. Like Vina hates the bounties, you know. We've got to hate it. Something that we once loved to be involved in, we now can't imagine ourselves being involved in it because God has made a switch in us. And so what that does, and this is why it's, it's definitely how the early church functioned, it's, it's definitely how God worked in the early church. He brought the church into a pureness, a holiness, where... To the most part, they were not tempted by sin. Sin didn't have a hold on them. Even Paul at the end of his life said he doesn't, he doesn't yearn after those things. He has not, hasn't got that pull towards sin any longer because he's, he's been lifted out of that by the Spirit of God. And it's not because of anything he can do. And, and we're going to read that in Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians. And... I want, I want you to see the difference between the legalistic stuff, which is to resist the sin nature. But God says, you can't do it by your own power. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. And so I'm, I, I see now that there is legalism in trying to be like a good Pharisee, in a sense. A good, righteous Christian. In, in your own power. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. Now, the other flip side of that is the power of grace has been, and, and, and the, the grace teachers have taken that too far to where grace is a coverall, and you, even if you do sin, that's fine because God doesn't see it because you're under grace. That's the other extreme, and that is a really, really bad teaching because it, it, people, again, not transformed, 
think they're under grace, still living lives of sin, and they're comfortable in it, and they're not threatened by with the fear of God for the things that they're doing. So they're not even conscious of trying to resist it. So I'd rather get taught, at least try to resist it, than not to worry because you're under grace now. So, But I think there's a middle road, and that's the one that I want to take, because we've got to stay within the parameters of Scripture. And what that's saying is, it's a work of God in your life. And it says in Ephesians 2, let's go from 2 verse 1, and it says this, As for you, this is what we were, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? Satan. We were dead in our sins and transgressions when we followed Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You know, all in the world at the moment, the disobedient uh, that you see in the in music and you watch the daily news and you see the disobedient people, like, you know, that guy that was moved to kill that uh, young girl in the park in oh, Melbourne. So was it Melbourne or was it Melbourne? Melbourne. And, uh, you know, she was about 19. 22. 22. <laughs> Get my facts right. Anyway, uh, something got a hold of him. And moved him to murder. You know, I don't know if that guy woke up necessarily that morning thinking I'm going to go out and murder a girl tonight. He could have, but the spirit who is at work in the disobedient are doing this. Which is why it explains why within a few hours of it he's handing himself in. He couldn't believe what happened. How did this happen? He was moved by demons. And you, the whole world is moved by demons. Leaders of countries are moved by demons. And this is the thing. The world's not aware of who's controlling it. You know, you, know, you watch a, a fair bit of... Who watches over time, you know, over the years? We've watched a fair bit of TV. They don't acknowledge Jesus Christ. You know, this is the thing. If, you, if all you, you get from your you know, uh, direction in life comes from the TV and these sorts of media sources, you're not going to hear about Jesus. Rob, they always talk about Jesus uh, in movies and that. Oh, yeah, but they use his name as a curse word. Yeah. 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 Um, but they do. They, they use it as a... As a a byword, as a something stupid. And if you see a Christian in a movie, they're always depicted as something dark. You like, you see a dark room, and then you see someone going, you know, Lord, forgive me, you know, because I sin, you know, or something like that. And they they make Christians out to be these dark, horrible, evil people, and weird as well. But but it's not like that in, in reality. That's their depiction, and they want people to think that that's Christians. But it's not at all. But the world is led by demonic forces. Who knows that? The Bible says that the world is under the control of the evil one. That he is the God of this earth. Actually, you cannot receive any level of power or authority in this planet without having sold part of your life to him. And the higher up you get, the more aware you are of what you're getting into. They say in uh, Freemasonry, when you low down the ranks, they don't know that it's a satanic organisation. But as you go up, they bind you with all these satanic oaths. And as you get up and higher and higher and higher, eventually you know straight up you're serving Lucifer. And they become, uh, they honour Lucifer as God, as the one who set humanity free with the knowledge of good and evil. And that's Freemasonry. Now, Freemasonry, a uh, huge amount, I think... Uh, 70%, something like that, of American presidents have been Freemasons. Mm. And I think all the others have been Skull and Bonesmen, which is pretty much the same sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. And in Australia, the same thing. Yeah. Actually, you can't get to any level of, like, if you want to have a really big and successful business, please don't take this advice right now. Mm. If you want to have a really big and successful business, become a Freemason. Mm. Shake hands with the devil. Mm. And then you will be given riches, power and authority in the, on this planet. That's how you get it. Demonic forces. And as I said, you know, this is why we show these videos about the rock industry and, and Hollywood and so on. <clears throat> They're all doing it. It's all coming from a demonic source. <clears throat> so it says here, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Gratifying it. Satisfying it. Giving the sinful nature exactly what it desires. Like the rest, sorry, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. If, <coughs> if you live those ways and do those things, you are objects of wrath. So that's what you've got to think. If I still do these things, I'm an object of wrath. I'm under God's wrath. I'm not under grace because if I was under grace, I wouldn't be involved in those things. So that's where I'm starting to think, man, I'm, I'm actually in dangerous ground right now. I'm on dangerous ground. And, and I don't want to do those things. So I have to start asking God, God, how do I change? Because I'm, I'm done with trying to do it myself by my own power because it doesn't work. There's got to be a hatred in you for it, a disgust for it. You've got to loathe the concept of whatever it is. And that's supernatural. That's got to be a work of God. And it comes through prayer. It comes from the church getting around you and praying for release. Praying to be set free from these things. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us, he did it, God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he raised us up and seated us with him. It is by grace that you have been saved. By grace. It doesn't say it is by your own willpower that you've been saved. It's by grace. But it's not just that moment where he saves you. It's by outworking that in your life for the rest of your life. Outworking it. And if you do fall into sin, we can come to God and say, okay, God, there's something else now. You've got to help me now. You've got to do a work in me. You've got to break this hold in my life so I don't do it again. And that's where the power of God comes in. That's where the power of God has got to be supernatural. It's got to be a supernatural God outworking this. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that the, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. In the coming ages. We are in the coming ages of that time. We are in that time now. He will show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. He's kind to us. He wants to do this in us. But we have to actually want it. We've got to actually want God to do this in us. Amen. It doesn't come if you don't want it. God will give to those who ask. We've got to ask, God, do this in me. I need this supernatural transformation of my heart, this supernatural transformation of my mind, so that I can live it out according to your will. Because I don't want to get before you like those, those in uh, Matthew 7, 21, who say, uh, where Jesus says, get away from me, because you didn't do the will of the Father. For it is by grace, here it is, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. His grace saves you through faith exercised throughout your life. You've got to exercise that faith in Him transforming you. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift. It's not by your own ability, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, not by outworking it, because if we could make ourselves holy, we would have something to boast about, wouldn't we? We could boast before a holy God, I did this. So that no one can boast, it says here, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's what he created us to do. So we have to say, God, make this change in me and create in me a new heart, create in me a new mind, make me a new creature so that I can do good works. So I can fulfill the good works which you prepared in advance for me to do. He's got things for every one of us to do that's suitable to every one of us. But we've got to get in that place with him so that he can say, okay, now you're there, I'll reveal to you the thing that I've got, I've prepared from the beginning of creation for you to do these things. 
So I believe a lot of the problem in the church is the church doesn't supernaturally get transformed. The church, you know, to the most part, has not supernaturally been transformed. Therefore, the congregation nearly feels a lot of the time like they're, you know, what, what can I do for God? How can I actually work out His will? How can I do the things He wants me to do? Is there anything for me to do? But I don't know. I can't answer those questions. It's not up for me to say, well, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do that. I shouldn't have to do that, should I? That's not my job, because Jesus says, I'll build the church. Right? If I start trying to think of jobs for you all, it would be, <laughs> come over to my house, grab a sponge. Um, but it's not that. It's God has in mind the things you're meant to do. And we, we, we got to know that we, there is something. Now, this is the thing. When God gets a hold of a man and changes that man's heart, or, and when I say man, remember, because there's this gender problem at the moment. Um, I mean man and woman. Right? It's plural. It's a, it's a term for all of us, mankind, which you can't say anymore either, can you? Mankind. It's humankind now. I can say it for <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. We will say it. That's what I was taught. That's right. That's right. Um, I won't go down there. I was about to say something else about it. I'm not mentioning that right now. Probably should do a sermon on it. Uh, but anyway, we need to have a, a, a supernatural transformation. And I'm going to read to you from a book. Um, it's called Experiencing the Presence of God. It's by a, a, a man of God called Charles Finney. And if you've ever... There's a huge movement on the internet of people trying to pull this guy down. Yet he, cre he did a, a work in the church by the power of God, which was just absolutely mind-blowing. And they called it the Second Great Awakening, which occurred in, a, in America. The First Great Awakening occurred in Great Britain. They say before his ministry began, there was probably 100,000 Christians in all of America. By the time he finished, uh, it was a, known as a Christian nation. This guy, uh, this is what he was teaching. What I'm actually teaching now is what he taught. He taught this and he saw entire communities of people getting transformed. Wherever he went, hundreds of thousands of people. Well, like They say 100,000 people got saved in his first year of ministry alone. <coughs> and he taught supernatural transformation uh, in the hearts of people in repentance and then with that supernatural transformation came transformed and godlike people not gods godlike in the sense that they were living out according to the will of God and then they would spread spread the message everywhere they went because they could not help but speak about what they've seen and heard and so it spread like wildfire because people were changed and he would go into towns where some of the worst and most, uh, you know, uh, uh, obscene men in the, in the place would get converted and become saints. Like they would go from being drunks and, and swearing and cursing and getting in the fights to completely the opposite. Where they would be actual saints, the most lovely men you'd ever come across. So total transformation. They weren't trying to resist the urge to get into fights. They weren't trying to resist the urge to drink. And they weren't trying to resist it just become... And they weren't trying to be really nice men. It's what happened in them when they encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of Charles Finney. And that's what I, that's what I see is the, the actual crux of the transformation that we, as a church we need and the church in Adelaide needs. And every Christian needs, amen, yes. a supernatural transformation. Yes. Supernatural. Overcomers. God makes us an overcomer in everything. Mm. And the way you stay an overcomer is you stay connected to the source. You stay connected to Jesus. You don't unplug. You don't re release yourself from that connection. You stay connected. And you stay obedient to the whisperings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And you can live out your life righteously by the power of God not by your own ability very important isn't it very important distinction and it's got to be clear because if we don't repent it says unless you repent you will not see the kingdom of heaven so if this is if this is true what I'm saying if this is true and it seems very solid it seems very solid scripturally and I'll, I'll, and, and through other things I'm going to take you through as well 
Um, and it's certainly the way God works. You know, if we pray for someone to be healed, you know, and we're praying for someone who's got a, you know, a cancer or something in their leg, you don't see me get out a knife and say, just hold on a second. <laughs> I'm going I'm to do something here. Right? And the rest of you don't stand around and put on masks like nurses and, and, and do all that stuff. We're not to do the operation. He does it supernaturally or he uses the hands of trained men and women, right? Sometimes God does that as well. But we're believing for a supernatural healing, aren't we? So if we believe for a supernatural healing there, we should believe for a supernatural healing here. You know, because the, the actual, a lot of the scriptures that refer to the healing in the Bible are referring to healings from sin. That's what we need healing from. You know, you get healed of a cancer here, and you can still go to hell. You get healed from sin here, and you go to heaven. That's how important it is. Alright, so, Ephesians 2.1.9, we just read that, 2, verse 1.9. And I'm just going to read a, a, a from the Charles Finney book. We receive this grace by faith. This is grace of, the grace of salvation. Nothing we can do makes us deserving of this righteousness. But as soon as we exercise faith, all that is contained in the covenant of grace becomes ours. This is why the inspired writers made so much of faith. Faith is our part of the covenant. It is the eye that discerns, the hand that takes hold, and the medium by which we come to possess the blessings of the covenant. And we need to possess it. That's, if you could call it anything, that would be our works. Possessing. Taking a hold of the, of the grace. And calls, uh, asking God, seeking God to make the change in our life. <clears throat> By faith, the soul actually comes to possess all that is embraced in that act of faith. If there is not enough faith received to break the bonds of sin and set the soul at liberty, it is because the act of faith has not embraced enough of what Christ is and what he has done. If you have not had the sin broken in your life, it's because we have not, um, if there's not enough faith received to break the bonds, it is because the act of faith has not embraced enough of what Christ is and what he has done. We haven't embraced the, the transformation that should come to us enough. Does that make sense? I'm going to Straightforward. Some of these writers, they write very uh, deeply. And when I'm reading it, I understand it. But then when I read it in context, sometimes it can seem, okay, where's he going with this? But um, now, when I say Christ is our sanctification and our, holiness, and our holiness, I mean that he is the author of our holiness. Not only does he make it available to us by his atonement and intercession, but by his direct contact with the soul. By his direct contact with the soul of man, he makes this, uh, he, he changes us deep inside. He produces holiness. He is not the remote, but the direct cause of our being sanctified. He works in us by the influence of his spirit in a way perfectly consistent, consistent with freedom. Sanctification is received by faith. By faith, Jesus is received and enthroned as king in our hearts. When the mind yields to Christ, it is led by his spirit and guided and controlled, controlled by his hand. Our own holiness does not enter at all into the reason for our acceptance, acceptance and salvation. We all know that. We all taught that, that we're all sinners. Right? We're all sinners from birth. None of us are righteous, not even one. That has nothing to do, even if we were righteous, that still has nothing to do with our being accepted. It's because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that we're accepted. And the, the danger there is people think, that's it. He saved me from all my sin. He died, and this is what they teach, he died for my sin, past, present, and future. Who's heard that teaching? Put up your hand if you've heard it. He's died for our sin, past, present, and future. Do you know that's not in the Scriptures? He died for our sin our past sins and up to the present sin when you accept it in. But then he turns in you, your heart around, and changes you so that you don't continue to sin. And if you do sin, you've got to then repent again. 
See, that teaching, he died for our sins, past, present, and future, means that no more repentance is needed from the moment you receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And I had, a, uh, I had that doctrine pushed on me pretty heavily once by a minister that when I was sitting with him in prayer, this is before I was, I was ministering or anything, I started to repent because I, you know, I was a Christian, but I still wasn't living a, a righteous life. So I was saying, Lord, just, Lord, forgive me for all my sin. Forgive me. I, I repent of the things that I've done. And he stopped me in the middle of the prayer. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm repenting. I said, you don't have to repent. You've repented. When you were saved, you repented. But they don't understand. They think you only have to say sorry once. How would that work in a family if you only had to say sorry once? If every time I did, you know, something bad and Venus says, you know, you're going to say sorry. No, I said sorry to you 20 years ago. That's not what it's all about. You know, and how many of us need to turn our lives around quite often? How many of us, you know, we go through life and we think, man, I'm going in the wrong direction. I've got to turn. That's what it is. It's turning and saying, no, more that way. I'm going this way. I'm going the, the narrow road. I'm going to the road that leads to life. I am not continually getting... Because we get pulled off roads back to that broad road. And the broad road seems really nice. Seems really nice. The broad road is entertaining. You know, you can see the bands of your choice on the broad road. Walking along there, there's ACDs over there, and they're rocking it out. Walk with them. You know, and that's the, the attraction. There's something for everyone on the broad road. But on the narrow road, sometimes it can just lead to heartbreak. But if you are truly transformed, if God's truly done a work in you, you will walk the narrow road with joy, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you'll have life in Him. And nothing that the broad road offers will even, you know, will attract you in any way, shape or form. That's what I want. As a Christian, Amen. Who wants that? Yes. Who wants that? Who wants it to be a work of the Spirit done, so that yes. we can give up all the effort that goes into trying to be right? You know, and it's not meaning, oh, well, let's just be wrong all the time now, because I'm not trying to be right. No, what it's meaning is, Lord, you got to do this. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired. I, who gets tired of it sometimes? Especially when the pastor's always preaching against sin. You leave going, oh, I'm so tired, I can't handle this anymore. I don't know how long I can keep resisting all this stuff because it's so alluring. It makes me want to do it. Now, why can't I just be on the grace of doing it? I'll, I'll read you, I'll go straight to where he talks about some interesting things. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, if you're trying to always live right and you have sorrow and, and then you go back and do it again, that's the sorrow of the world. And that brings death because you're continually confronted with it, but you also want to do it. It's like you really like ice cream and you've got ice cream sitting there all the time and you just want to have a lick. And you get told you can't. And you can't lick it, so you can't lick it, but it's there, and I really want to lick it. And then in those moments of temptation, you just go and you just grab one. I can't stop. Got to eat it. You know what I mean? Have to have it. But that's not, uh, you know, that, that's not how it should be. We shouldn't be desiring it anymore. You know, and that's the issue. Who, who likes listening to music of the world? Grab your hand if you like listening to some of the music of the world. No? Now I won't ask you, I won't ask these questions, but who, who enjoys looking at um, nudity? Who enjoys looking at, or oh, taking drugs? I'm not saying any of you are. Who enjoys all the allures of the world? Who likes all the, um, uh, you know, the movies, the R-rated movies and all the, you know, crazy movies that are on TV today and the, and the TV shows? You know, and I know we all can be lured into that sort of stuff. But it's, it's not up to me to go and say, you mustn't watch it. It's not up to me to say to anyone, even in my own family, amongst my own children, my wife, I can't tell them not to watch it. And, you know, I, even trying to say it to me only leads me to feel guilty when I do watch it. And so I live out this guilt life. So I'm saying, God, you've got to do a miracle. You've got to do a change because I can't do it. Who gets where I'm coming from? Yes. God's got to take away that desire in me. 
Well, I don't want to stop you from yeah. what you're doing, but a great example was last night I went to the um, fundraiser, cancer fundraiser, and the movie was Ocean's Eight. Oh, yeah. And that's supposed to be a really good movie, but I just could not believe it. And this was the Holy Spirit. Um, I felt uncomfortable. Mm. I didn't like the movie. Mm. Um, it was just full of things that no longer interest me. Yeah. And things that, um, yeah, just I didn't really want to be. So that, that's a work of the spirit, isn't it? Yeah. That she doesn't actually want watch to yes. watch it. And it was uncomfortable watching it. Yes. You know, as a parent, you know, I know when we shouldn't be watching things, when we're <coughs> to watch those things with the children in the room. I just couldn't believe my reaction. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what you meant yeah. before when you said a change of heart. Yeah. So yeah. this is what we need, guys. God's got to do this work. So the one who truly repents, sin looks very different from what it does to him who has not repented. So if we've repented, sin will look very, very different to us. But if it still looks the same as it did before you supposedly repented, then... That's where true repentance has got to be. We've been under false repentance. We've been maybe accepted it through the teachings that we've been taught in years past. And ministers have you know, uh, not explained what I'm explaining now. And I believe this is, this is uh, apostolic teaching from the days of the apostles. And I'm not saying I'm an apostle doing that. I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's the deep teaching of Christianity that was actually foundational. Because when you put down a foundation, you go deep, don't you? So the foundational teaching has got to be the deep teaching. And if we get this right, the rest of Christianity falls into place. Without it, we, we can be deceived and, and live out of Christianity that's not all it's meant to be. And then you wonder, how come I'm still falling for those things? How come I'm still having these problems? How come I can't deal with the things that I should be able to deal with the grace of Christ? How come I'm not like Christ? And we'll have a look at that in a minute. So the one who truly repents, sin looks very different from what it does to him who has not repented. Instead of looking desirable or fascinating, it looks odious and detestable. He's astonished that he ever could have desired such a thing, which is what Fiona was saying. Mm. Impenitent sinners, sinners, that's those that don't want to give up sin. Impenitent sinners may look at sin and see that it will ruin them because God will punish them for it, but it still appears in itself desirable. So you, you may look at sin and not want to do it and say, no, I don't want to do that thing, but it's still pulling you. There's still a desire in your heart to be part of that sin. But if your repentance is genuine, you have a conscious change of views and feelings in regard to sin. And the question is, can you say this? Can you say that God has changed, has given you a conscious change of your views and your feelings towards whatever sin you know in your heart that God's trying to deal with you on? Has there been a change? Has there been a conscious change? Or do you still desire them and you're trying to always push them away, the desire to be part of that? Do you know that there has been a change in you? Do you know that you've been changed deep inside? Have you had that encounter with the Holy Spirit where He's actually dealt with those things in you? Where the old things have passed away and all things have become new? Where repentance is genuine, the prevailing tendency to repeat sin is gone. When repentance is genuine, the, the whole urge to do it again is gone. Gone. Ab abolished. And you become like Christ. If you've truly repented, you do not now love sin anymore. You do, not you do not now abstain from it through fear or to avoid punishment, but because you hate it. That's got to be the word. Look at the sins you used to practice. How do they appear to you? Look at the things. Do they look pleasant? And would you really love to practice them again if you did? If you still have the disposition to sin, you're only convicted. Your opinions of sin may have changed, but it is the love of that sin remains. You are still an impenitent penitent sinner. You know, the, the way to look at it is this. If God says it's alright to do that thing, would you jump to it straight away? How many people, if God said, you know, pornography is fine. How many Christians would say, yippee! 
on the computer where I'm go I go, you know what I mean? And you only and what what it's, he's saying is you're avoiding going on because of your fear of hell. You're avoiding going on because of all that sort of stuff, but not because God's done a work in you. Yes. Yeah. So we need we need this to, sort of a change to take place. Some of us need it more than others. Um, and many of you have probably got that change in you as well. I'm not saying you don't have that change. Please don't misunderstand me because I always preach to, if I'm preaching a message, I preach it to everyone broadly and then everyone else, everyone's got to have a, their own conviction. Where do I stand with this? Now God's already dealt with me on all these things. Awesome. If God's dealt with you, if God's got that all sorted in you, if you've got no sins in your life that are, are tempting you, and if, you, if you've got nothing, if you've got no drawing to want to do it because you hate it with a passion, that's, that's fine. That's awesome. Um, but if there's things in you pulling you, if there's desires in you to want to be part of that, to, have, um, to be in, involved in those sins, then this is the message for you. Amen. Now, 1 John. Let's turn to 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 1 to go to verse 5. And it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You can see that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So what it's saying is, if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus... And yet you walk in the darkness of the sin nature. It says we deceive ourselves. That's right. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and I've read this just a second ago, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. So we've got to walk in the light. But it's not by our own power. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's before salvation. If we claim we don't have any sins, and I've actually talked to atheists who say, I don't sin. And then I go through a few sins, so you don't do this. Yeah, but that's not a sin. And you don't do this. Oh, that's not a sin. Everyone does. I don't sin. So they're judging what sin is by what everyone else does. And they judge sin by like this as well. They go, oh, well, you know, there's people that do a lot worse than me. Who's heard that one? Yes. You know, I don't, I've never murdered anybody. Yes. So if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify <coughs> us. See, that's the word. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and the word has no place in our heart. So we must confess that Jesus Christ... Um, will we'll, uh, to him that we have sinned and we are sinners. However, let's go to 1 John 3, verse 4. And then it says here, verse 4, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So everyone who sins, Christians and non-Christians, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. He might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So in Christ is no sin. No one who lives in him, catch these words now, no one who lives, that means abides in Christ, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's powerful. No one who continues to sin has seen him or known him. Is that harder than anything I've said already? If I just said that off the top of my head in a manner of speaking, you would think, oh, now Rob's making up his own doctrine. But this is Bible. Yeah. This is the Bible. If we continue to sin and then they say, oh, that's legalism then. No, that's the power of the Spirit outworking in your life. That's what's expected. Without that supernatural encounter, without that supernatural change... We can't call ourselves Christians, according to Scripture. Because it says here, no one who's, who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
Christianity, you can't confess to be Christian unless he's done this work in you. That's why Jesus says, I command all men to repent. To come into a saving grace, to come into the Son, to abide in Him and be changed and transformed. Amen? Is this scripture or am I making it up? And it says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Wow, are there some churches out there where people are getting led astray in this? You know, there's a reason this church is small. You know, you can't handle the truth. The church can't handle the truth. Jack Nicholson, but in a different light. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Who, he who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. So John's being cut and dry here. If you're in sin, you're of the devil. This is probably the hardest message that I ever will preach. But it's got to be preached because the scriptures say it. And I'm preaching it to me first. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He's, he appeared to destroy it. And how does he destroy it? In his people. So his people, the sin nature has been destroyed in his people. So that these people will shine. And they'll be like a lamp on the hill. So that when the world comes, they can't, they can't find any fault with the people of God. Because the people of God are holy. And they have to lie. Make up stories about it. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. <clears throat> Listen to this now. No one who is born of God will... Say it together. Continue, continue to sin. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. No one who is born, if you're truly born of God, if you've been born again, you will not sin. That's what the scriptures say. Now, if I said that, but I wasn't telling you to seek the Holy Spirit to do this work in you, then I would be a legalist. But if I'm telling you that this is the promised work of the Holy Spirit in your life, then I'm, it makes sense. It's not legalism. This is the work of God. And we're fulfilling Scripture. And Scripture then, we don't get condemned with the rest of men because God has done a change in us. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. If God's seed, you know what, what does seed do in, a, in the ground? When, when seed's placed in the ground, what does it do? It grows. If God's seed remains in you, it will grow and you won't be able to sin. You cannot go on sinning like the rest of men because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. This is how we discern it. That's why it says in the Bible, don't even, um, don't even hang around with that man because he's a sinner. He's doing things worse than the pagans. And he's talking about the church. In the church, this person was a sinner. Don't hang around sinners in the church. If the people in the church are full of sin, don't hang with them. When, when, that's not directed to the people of the world. We're supposed to hang with the people of the world and get them saved. Where did they find Jesus? If Jesus was in Adelaide, guess where you'd find him? I've said this many times. That is true. At the front bar, talking to sinners. It's not the it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. But the Christians have got to get together and build each other up. But we've got to talk to our friends. But you know, you won't talk to your friends if you're not changed. You'd be like a blind man leading up leading them, the blind. We've got to take the plank out of our eye and we've got to be changed. God's got to do a work in us. And then guess what? The result is you'll burn to get people saved. It will be another thing that God will do a supernatural work in the Spirit where you'll just desire to see men come to know Jesus. And it will burn you so greatly that if they don't, you will pray night and day until they get saved. It will change your attitude towards everybody. You will love the hardest of sinners. You will love men with all your heart. You will love them as you're meant to, the way Christ loves them. Jesus loved us so much he gave his own life for us. 
to get us saved, to keep us out of hell. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to love so much that we would lay our life down for our fellow man. And how does that happen? You can't just choose to do it because you want to. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. It's got to be God in us, the hope of glory. And I believe I'm talking about the Spirit today. Amen? This is what God wants for His people. This is the kind of people He wants. He doesn't want wishy-washy Christians anymore. He wants changed, transformed, renewed, recreated, purified, holy, sanctified, righteous. All the things we're meant to be in Christ. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Anyone who does this in the Bible, guys, can you see that? Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Neither is anyone who does not love his brother. Do you know if you don't love, if you don't forgive, you will not even see the kingdom of heaven. Christians are known as the greatest of forgivers, the greatest of lovers for men and will forgive. This brings conviction on me. I can't hold anything against anyone because I've sinned greater than them. I've got to love unconditionally. Amen. We all got to love unconditionally. And this is the work of God. This is a work of God. So I'm not going to do an altar call today on it. And I don't do altar calls very often at all anyway. I'm not an altar call guy. One day God might make me one. Actually, I'll tell you why I don't do altar calls. It's because I've got enough time to speak to you all afterwards. Altar calls are when the church is so big, we, it's just to speak to those that need to be talked to. Uh, the only way to do it is to call them to the front so you can talk to them. And that was, it was according to the need of the situation. It wasn't a pressure tactic. It was used just to get those who really want to know Christ to come, to, come forward so that you can decide, uh, you know, mix, get them out of the mix, in a sense. Those that don't, aren't getting convicted stay in the seats, come to the front. But when you're a small church, I can speak to every single one of you. So I want you to speak to me about this. What's God saying to you right now? And I want you to speak to God about this. And uh, I'm not a priest in a Catholic church for you to come and confess your sins with me. But we are to confess to one another, it does say. And sometimes we need to, you know. But um, and we were talking about that last week, weren't we? Um, so there's things that you can come and tell me, but there's things that are just between you and God as well. And you need to get those clear. But some things when we have times, there's been times when Vina and I have cancelled people, and it's been a blessing to have, have things brought out. Do you know what I mean? And it's cleared situations up, made situations better. Mm. Um, but there's other times where it's just you and God. Mm. Deal, deal with God. On, on the subject. But I'm here to talk to you about it because I want to pray for you. And that's what I want to do. I want to pray for you guys that God will supernaturally work in your hearts. That God will supernaturally work in your minds. And so put up your hand if you believe you need God to work in you supernaturally. Yeah? Yeah? So it's just pretty much everywhere. We all need God to do something. And you know what? We're living in the most sinful age in the history of men. And how can anyone living in the most sinful age in the history of men not need help in this area? <laughs> we need some supernatural help. Because it, it gets so blurry, the line's so blurry. How far do you go before you've sinned and you get to the point there's so much sin that you don't even see the lines? Have I stepped too far? Have I gone too deep? And that's why doing it on your own is so hard. You need God to do this in you. You need God to make you hate the things that are pulling you into sin. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for you all because everyone put up their hand. And Lord, I pray right now by the power of the Spirit, Lord. I pray by the power of the Spirit that you start to work in every single heart here, Lord. Every single mind. Because Lord, we need your transformational power, Lord. In us, God, because we can't do this. We can't do this ourselves. We, 
We're tired from trying, Lord. We're tired from trying to resist the sin nature and all its consequences, Lord. And Lord, it, it, the lure of sin is just so strong, Lord, and you know uh, what we confront every day in this world. And so, Lord, I ask for something uh, by the Spirit of God to come upon us and move our hearts now to hate sin with a passion. I pray your Spirit will just touch every single heart and life here and that, Lord, that we will hate sin with everything within us, Lord. And the things that have been causing us to sin will not tempt us any longer, Lord. And I pray that every single person here will claim it now. Just say, I claim it. I claim it. Say it with me now. I claim it. Lord, I claim the Spirit of God to heal me right now of the sin nature. I claim the Spirit of God to move in me and cause me to hate sin. Lord, cause us, Lord, to despise it and not want to go near it. And Lord, turn us into the people that you created us to be. Make us a new people. Make us a royal priesthood. Make us a holy people, a people belonging to God. Let us not sin anymore, Lord, but by the power of the Spirit, give us the power supernaturally to resist every form of sin because we despise it, Lord, and because we don't want to go there, Lord. And so I pray you start to do this in every single one of us now, and I pray that you will change our hearts, you'll change our minds, you'll change our attitudes towards prayer, change our attitudes towards reading the Bible, change our attitude towards people, Lord, make us love people, become lovers of people, and it calls us to forgive and and let go of things. And God set us free from all the, the chains that have been holding us bound for so long, Lord Jesus. And make us a new people. A people born of God. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. So Lord, just do a work in us now. In your precious name. Thank you, Lord, for this, uh, thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you that you put it on my heart to, to minister today. And I pray that... Uh, that this message today will be the backbone of the church and that we will, from here forth, Lord, uh, see lives transformed and changed supernaturally, not by works, but by grace, through faith. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.